Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Storytime with the Mod Podcast, episode 48. We're just going to get right into the shit. Um, so last week, we all got text messages from our dearly beloved president. Um, <laughs> they they were talking about it days before, talking about how we were all going to get this presidential text alert. And the shit was kind of funny even before it happened, just because of the amount of jokes. These are the times where the internet is like at its absolute best. Because the amount of jokes that people were making even prior to the text going out. Um, and I was sitting there at work. Uh, it had to be sometime in the late morning, probably around like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And you just hear everybody's phone start beeping loud as hell. Because, of course, even if your phone was on silent, of course, when they send you a presidential alert from that motherfucker, it's going to make your phone go loud as shit. Um, but it's, it's funny because... I have conversations all the time with people um, about how smartphones and how creepy this shit has gotten um, in the sense of, I know I've personally had several instances where I'll be talking about something to somebody or I'll search some shit or whatever it might be. And next thing you know, every website you go to, every advertisement that pops up, you on Instagram and all types of shit and it's, it's all popping up content relevant or relative to the shit that you might have been talking about to somebody so I, I have conversations all the time about how creepy that shit is you know how um, the smartphones are just getting a little too fucking smart and so I was reading some shit after the presidential text alert um, and I forget what this guy's former role was but he was like a cybersecurity person in the government or something like that and he was saying how the chip that's in the phones that allows a presidential text alert to go out like that to everybody um, is the same chip that they can use to track your location. They can get access to all of the content on your phone, pictures, data, anything that you got saved on your phone. They can use that same chip to get through into your phone and have access to all your stuff. And I'm not like a conspiracy theorist type of person or anything like that. Um, and I personally don't necessarily think the government would have any reason, even though they could do it. I don't think that they would have any reason to go into the phone of just every motherfucker that exists in the United States, because none of us generally are that interesting where, you know, you really need that information on us. But it's just one of those things that makes you start wondering, like just the fact that they can do that shit. Um, you know, what do they look at? Because um, even if you are a person that this, let's say, of interest to the government for whatever reason, if you've done, if you've if you've committed no crime or, or anything of that nature, um, they still don't have the right to be in your shit. So uh, the fact that the cell phones have these chips in them that allow them to do that, I'm sure there are people that they monitor like that and they be in their shit looking at their stuff. They don't do it to the everyday, you know, Joe Schmoes and shit like that. But the fact that it's possible is just a little bit concerning. Um, for a lot of levels. So it, it, it was kind of funny at first with all the jokes and everything that was being made on the internet about it. But then the shit got real creepy as I started thinking about it more. And as I was reading about, you know, that chip and all of the shit that they can have access to. Um, and again, just knowing how creepy it's been when I've talked about something 
with somebody and the next thing you know, the next day you on your cell phone and there's an advertisement about it. Um, the shit is just, yeah, it's, it's the world is changing and in, in the next couple of years, I think shit is gonna get real interesting um, when you think about all the data that they have on all of us and not even the shit that they tap into our phones or tap into our systems and get, but the shit that we voluntarily give up because I know every time I download an app or some shit and they ask you, you know, the permissions and all of that shit come up and they got these long paragraphs of disclaimers that they want you to read. And I is as smart of a person as I am and I know better that you should read anything before you accept or agree to it. I, I don't ever read that shit. I know I'm not the only one. I would, in fact, I would venture to guess that, you know, 98% of people, 99% of people just do do what I do and scroll to the bottom of that shit and accept or accept, you know, apps, permissions or whatever it might be without even really reading what kind of data they getting or what they're doing with it. So um, we voluntarily given up a lot of shit and it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, and hopefully it's not to our detriment at some point, um, because once you've agreed to give up that data and you, you had these companies like, um, you know, Facebook and, and Google and shit like that are the ones that people talk about a lot. But even the other day, I heard somebody talk about how Angry Birds was one of the is one of the biggest um, companies in terms of selling consumer data, because when you download Angry Birds, obviously you get it for free. But what a lot of people don't know is that, you know, you're basically agreeing to them having your data and distributing it any way they really see fit. So, you know, just just off of them harmless ass games that people download and play or that they put on their phones for their kids or whatever the reason might be, you basically handing over a bunch of information about yourself and not really realizing it. But before I get too deep, dark into this shit, I'm just saying, be careful. We all about to turn into a. Uh, they gonna take over our fucking lives, um, or at the very least, you are gonna get a bunch of advertisements for shit and be annoyed by it. But the information age is a motherfucker. It's for for all the great things that it brings to us. It's a lot of creepy and weird shit too. So you know, we'll see how how it is in five years when we all got chips in our arm and shit like that. Um, the next thing, um, so. The next thing I wanted to get into a little more serious of a subject, um, and it's it's really just related to. I've, I've been seeing a lot of things over the last week, um, where. You know, continuing on that conversation that's been going on for quite some time for some time now, in relation to um, the uh, the abuse, mistreatment, um, assault of women in various scenarios and, and more recently with the Brett Kavanaugh situation, um, which I'm not going to speak in too much detail about because there's enough information and enough stories out there about it. Um, but in the, in the recent week, this, this last past week, what I've been seeing a lot of is just, um, it's, it's been a, it's been a lot of criticism, um, and really just a lot of downplaying of the stories and the events that have come out from the women um, that have made accusations and, you know, I've seen a lot of women that I know making posts about the fact that, you know, it's hard enough if you, if you're a woman or a person, even, yeah, even just a person in general, not, not just a woman, but specifically in this, in this case, talking about, um, women, if you're a woman that's, that's had, um, an assault happen to you or, or some type of 
um, traumatic event happened to you at the hands of a man, it's hard enough to come out and report that as it is. Um, and then you add this element of nowadays and in recent weeks and months when women have come out and said something, the response being, you know, they're embellishing, they're lying out right altogether. Um, you know, people saying they're just making shit up or they have uh, maybe not remember all of the details of the situation just and just really having their their claims fall on deaf ears. Um, so that adds to the difficulty of even coming out in the first place because you already have to deal with this traumatic event and what might go along with that and re reliving that moment or whatever it might be when you when you make the decision to come out and talk about it. But then you also have to deal with the fact that people might not believe you and then you'll be criticized and ostracized for that. And so it just got me really thinking about the fact that even beyond the sexual assaults and things like that, um, I think we have a big tendency and and this is more of a human thing, but also I think in, in America, for whatever reason, I think it's more prevalent and maybe it just seems that way to me because that's the data points that I have because this is where I live and this is where I grew up. But it just seems like in America, people have a tendency, especially people in power, um, to criticize people and disregard experiences of people um, that they've never had to go through or they've never had to experience. Um, so I, I think it happens with like women who come out about sexual assaults and rapes um, and things like that. It happens with minorities who come out about, you know, being um, discriminated against or or marginalized. It happens in a lot of situations. And when I say people of power, I don't I don't necessarily mean rich people. I don't necessarily mean um, you know, higher ups at work or anything like that. I mean the the majority group that usually doesn't have to deal with some of the inequalities and some of the um, disenfranchisement that other groups have to deal with. Um, so I posted something on Facebook about it where it was it was a lot of posts that I was saying about how men have been coming out saying it's a tough time to be a man right now because they feel like if you do something or if you say something, it's a sensitive time where you might get accused of doing, you know, you, you might get accused of of a more heinous act than what you really were doing. Um, and and while that may be true to a certain degree, degree that I think the sensitivity level of a lot of things is much higher, I think at no point is it is it right for a man to say that this is a tough time for us because that just really doesn't, I mean, frankly, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, I've never been in a situation where I've been accused of anything um, in relation to sexual assault or, or anything, anything even remotely close to that. And, and I don't say that to sound like some saint. I just say that to say that um, I've always tried to carry myself as a respectful gentleman, even in situations where, you know, I maybe wasn't the utmost of, of, respectable gentlemen, I still have never gotten into that territory of doing something that could be misconstrued as sexual assault or, or anything remotely close to that. And so I, I say that to say that I don't worry about an accusation being brought against me because I don't feel that I'll put myself in a position that that could happen. Um, now that, that doesn't mean that a, a woman couldn't just get completely pissed off and make up something, um, out of nowhere. But, but even if that would have happened, I wouldn't, necessarily worry about that because an unfounded claim like that I feel like would get proven to be unfounded so um, 
I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that I think it's just it's completely disrespectful in a lot of ways for any man to come out and say that this is a tough time for us because women are coming out um, and speaking out against their abusers and in, in situations that they've been involved in where they were maybe sexually assaulted or or, or raped or, or just had any type of abuse happen to them. Um, it is not a tough time for us. Um, men inherently have male privileges, especially in America, that allow us to navigate and do things um, and and create a culture that we've that we've thrived in because of the fact that we were able to create it and has allowed us um, luxuries that we get not because we've earned it in any way, but just solely based on the fact that we're men. So I think the acknowledgement of that by by men and, and that needs to happen because um, I also posted a video this past week from a rapper um, named My Son, where he talked about um, going out and supporting the women in their protest against Kavanaugh because men are the ones who have created this culture that has allowed for these type of assaults and this type of behavior to take place. So we can't put the burden solely on women and say that it's up to them to fight this on their own and try to make these changes in our society on their own when we are the ones that push the culture and again have thrived in the culture which has allowed it to to stay um and continue to grow in the way that it has so it's not until the people um the majority group in this case men it's not until that that group of people decides that it's a problem for them as well and step in and step up um to make a difference that anything will change and um you know i being the person that has a great respect for the women in my life because of everything that they've ever done for me. Um, and and I, you've all heard me speak very much about my mother and, and the other women in my life and the things they've done for me. So as a, as a person like that, I have no issue taking without what I'll consider a challenge to step up and be one of the men that, that speaks out on behalf of the women and stand, not on behalf of stands with the women in saying that I support, you know, what they're doing and support, the fact that we need to make changes in our society and in our culture to not to continue um, to push that type of culture that makes these things okay. Um, because that's really what it is. A person like Brett Kavanaugh doesn't even attempt to do the things in his life and career that he's done without knowing that he'll have support uh, regardless of his indiscretions. Um, no matter how long ago they were, no matter how old he was, it's, it's still a heinous act and something that should never have happened. It should never happen to any woman. So um, it's the culture that we've created that allows a, a man like that to feel comfortable even in pursuing the types of things he's pursued and knowing that it's attainable because of the fact that the culture exists the way that it does. Um, so I won't I won't beat this thing into the ground, but I think I'll just end it by saying, I'll end this particular topic by saying any of the men um, that listen to this, that hear me, um, I would I would issue that challenge to you as well to to be one of the men that stands up, holds other men accountable, um, works to to shift this culture that we've created, um, stand beside women in their fight for equality, um, in their pursuit of justice for abuse against abusers, um, in believing their stories, um, and and just being an, an ally because because that's what it's going to take to make it to make some difference so i'll i'll end that with that um moving on again to another uh more serious subject um 
Jason Van Dyke, who was the police officer in Chicago back a few years ago, um, who shot and killed Laquan McDonald, uh, was convicted of second degree murder. And I wanted to bring this up because there's been several conversations over the years. Um, I'd say starting with Ferguson a few years ago, Ferguson, Missouri, and Mike Brown. And there's been an unfortunate number of police shootings involving uh, the deaths of black men um, and women. And so very rarely, if ever, had we seen instances where the cops were then prosecuted and convicted. And, you know, this case, especially in Chicago, in a city like Chicago, with the amount of violence that they've had and some of the um, obstacles as a as a city that they faced in recent years. It it was refreshing and and um, it, it just felt it felt good to read a headline that said that that man got convicted, not because I wish wish jail on anybody, but because finally there was a situation a situation where a police officer was being held accountable um, for what for what he did in murdering a black man. And and this one especially was a bit a bit. Um, th there was a lot of tension around this one because of the fact that I think not only did he shoot Laquan McDonald, but he he fired 16 shots. And I think 13 of those shots, if I remember correctly, came when Laquan McDonald was already on the ground. So even for the people who argue that you know, he had a knife and the officer felt threatened and blah, 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 whatever you might say. Um, or even for the people that say, you know, as a police officer, you have to protect yourself and the reaction time and, and your safety and, and things of that nature. And I'm not going to discount or discredit any of that. But for any of the people who even use that argument, I don't know how you make any argument for a man firing his weapon 13 more times when the guy is already on the ground um, and basically filling his body up with bullets. I, I just don't see how in any way, shape or form you can try to make that argument. And then it was proven. Um, and there's still more cases um, left to, to go to trial for some of the other officers because it was proven um, that many of the other officers in the department then tried to cover it up. Um, first of all, it took, I think, a year for the camera footage to get released, which is is ridiculous. I don't know why it takes that amount of time. And then and then again, there was you know, evidence that the other officers tried to tried to cover it up. So I think that all just points to the fact that if, if you didn't think anything was wrong, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have held on to the tape so long before releasing it. If you didn't think anything was wrong, there wouldn't have been an attempt at a cover up. Um, so I think, you know, it's just it's encouraging that, that there's a jury um, that saw this case, saw the circumstances and and had enough evidence and enough courage to then convict the officer. Um, it's unfortunate, obviously, still for the family of Laquan McDonald, because this does nothing to bring him back, um, does nothing to ease, I'm sure, the pain that they felt over the last couple of years and having to endure a trial. Um, but at least justice was served, and hopefully that brings some sort of peace, um, even on some level, to that family and, um, you know, can start the healing process for that family and for the city as a whole and, and hoping that that leads to some sort of overall um, tipping of the, of the scale in the right way uh, so that officers are put on notice that they will be held accountable for the actions that they take. Um, and so com coming off of that verdict as well, 
it, it was very timely because um, I just started this program here in Ohio in the area that I live in um, where a guy that I know connected me in. And it's a program called Bridge of Life where they connect white police officers with African-Americans who live in the community in an attempt to um, try to improve the relationship between the police department and the African-American community. So last night, um, I had my first meeting with the officer that I was paired with. And it and it was it was interesting going into it because I'm a very outspoken person. Anyone that's listened to the podcast or that follows me on social media um, knows how much I've spoken out on these topics and how passionate I am about it. And obviously this officer that I'm meeting, that I was meeting, he he has no idea. He This was our first encounter, our first meeting. Um, so we're both coming into it blind, um, which first of all, I give him a lot of credit for even, for even, you know, enrolling in a program um, like this. I think that that shows a certain amount of, um, if 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 not awareness, a certain amount of a desire to improve things. So I I, I went into it with an open mind in that regard because I, I figure you're only coming to the table to talk because you're you're willing to talk and listen and um and and want better as I want better. Um so it was a very it was a very interesting situation coming into that initially. Um but I would say overall we had a very we had a very good conversation. We talked for about two and a half hours and it really it really got into some deep conversation about who we were as people and where we've come from. Um, and, and I was, I was happy to see it go in that direction and, and, uh, see our conversation flow as easily as it did. And, uh, there were some, there were some points, there were some interesting conversation topics. He, he asked me some questions about just how I was able to, to get to the places in life that I've gotten to given the circumstances that I've come from. Cause I described my upbringing to him quite a bit. Um, and went into a fair amount of detail, especially for a person that I was meeting for the first time. But again, I think coming into the situation, um, knowing what we were there for, I was willing to go there. And uh, it, it was one thing in particular, one question in particular that he asked me that I was I was glad that he asked me and I was glad that we had a chance to have a conversation, especially in our first meeting, um, which, by the way, there's a, a series of five meetings that we'll have. So this was the first of five um, but he asked me at one point, he said, he said how he asked me how I was able to um, get to the places in life that I've gotten to, given the societal pressures that black boys and black men um, have to deal with. And, and what he said when he kind of expanded upon that point, he said that he understands. He said, I, I've I've um, I've picked up on the fact that. You know, not only do black men, black boys have to deal with the inequalities and the hatred that comes from the white community, but you all also have to deal with the pressures from within the black community that a lot of times pushes you to be um, a certain type of way, a certain image, be uh, be rebellious, be tough, be a certain type of guy. Um, and and he, so he asked me how with those societal pressures from both sides, from the white from the white community and from my own black community, how I managed to to make it through and become who I've become. And the reason why I appreciated him asking me that is because he the, the acknowledgement of the fact that um, he said that he, he acknowledges that black men get treated differently. And it was the acknowledgement of that, also the acknowledgement of the societal pressures from both sides. Cause I, I could totally see how he would understand 
you know, how it comes from the, from the white, from the white community, um, being from that, but for him to observe and pick up on the fact that we also deal with it, um, to a large degree from our own community and some of the, the, uh, personas and images that get pushed on us. It was, it was very interesting. And I was glad that he asked me the question. So I'm not, I'm not going to go into detail about what my answer was in short. I gave a lot of the credit to my mother because, you know, of the way that she pushed me and my brother to fulfill our potential and be what she thought we could be. Um, but I did explain to him that, that he, he was right, that observation that he had about the black community was accurate in the sense that, you know, a lot of us grow up, especially if you grow up in an urban environment like I did in, in an all black neighborhood, for example, um, where you know, there's not a lot of fathers in the houses. Um, male role models are, are few and far in between in a lot of cases. So you look to other sources. Um, and, in, and in many black communities, the, the desired professions are athletes, they're entertainers, um, in worst case scenarios, but very likely in many situations, there's the drug dealers and the hustlers and et cetera, et cetera. So you start to look up to these people and the images that you see are these thugs, these gangsters, or at least people portraying that way. And so it sends the image to you at a young age that in order to be cool, because those guys get labeled as cool, the guys with the cars, the money, the jewelry, the girls, in a lot of cases are, you know, into illegal activity. So that's what gets labeled as cool. Whereas, um, you know, doctors, lawyers, people going to school, getting their education, get called nerds, they get called lame and all these different things. So it sends this negative reverse counterproductive kind of message to a young, a young boy or, or girl too, um, that makes them think that all of the wrong things are the cool things and all of the right things are, are the lame and negative things. And also sends the message that really the only way you have out is either being an entertainer or being um, an athlete or, you know, again, worst case scenario, some type of criminal. And so I, I kind of broke that down for him and we had some conversation about that. And in, in describing it to him and in describing it to other people as I have over the last, you know, couple months, a couple years, um, each time I do it, it's, it's almost like it it raises that awareness back up in my mind and it, and it paints the picture to me of how just screwed up the messages we got really were. And that's again, why I credit my mother so much because she didn't allow us to let those messages sink in. And she gave us alternate messages of positivity and alternate messages of how we should strive to, to be something different. And not all my friends got that. Not all the guys that I knew growing up got that. Not all the guys that I saw growing up got that. And it's really a shame in a lot of ways, but um, it kind of motivates me to, you know, do as much as I can to give back and talk to kids and, and, and go back to communities and help out so that they do see that there are alternate successful routes other than the ones that I talked about being entertainers or being athletes or being drug dealers or criminals. Um, but I just I just it really it really is bothersome to know that, you know, those are the types of things we push in our community. And that that a lot of it stems from just a self-hatred and, and a lack of pride and a lack of honor within ourselves, because there's no reason that we should be portraying or pushing images like that onto each other and onto the youth that come up behind us. And it's really just discouraging in a lot of ways. Um, and so even, even in talking about it on the podcast, you know, hopefully it's something that 
you know, plants a seed for other people um, to be able to do something to course correct and get us to a point where those aren't the type of images that we push um, and we start to push, you know, more productive, um, more productive images and, and nurture our children and the youth to be, you know, productive members of society. So I'm not going to get on a soapbox about it, but, um, you know, just something I thought about and wanted to share. And, and I look forward to continuing the conversations with, with the officer. Um, cause I think, like I said, we got off to a really good start and, uh, and I commend, I commend anybody that's willing to come to the table. Um, cause it's, it's so easy, especially nowadays for all of us to scream and complain and yell about, um, the things we want to see happen, but to really come sit down at the table and be willing to engage in the conversation and engage in activities to make a difference is, is what it's really all about. So I'm not going to pat myself on the back for it because that's just, that's just, <clears throat> that's just what I stand for and believe in. But I give him credit because it's a much more difficult thing. I think for him being a white police officer at this particular time to do so. So I'll, I'll continue to update on the podcast as I go through the, the next meetings with him, but off to a good start. Um, so to, to, to round things out here, um, we're going we gonna to end on a little bit of a lighter note. First of all, um, fucking Kanye West is canceled permanently. I'm, I'm not, this, this is going to be the last thing I say, I promise on any of my podcasts about this dude. He's, he's officially done. So fuck that. That's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. But I'm going to close out by talking about one of my favorite things. Um, I'm a big sports fan. I think anyone that's, this listen knows that, um, I always enjoy watching sporting events. Um, but one of my very favorite things to do when it relates to watching sports is watch Conor McGregor get his ass whooped. Um, I very much enjoyed watching Floyd Mayweather beat the shit out of him um, back, back I think it was about a year ago now when that happened. Um, I very much enjoyed watching that, watching Floyd knock the snot out of that motherfucker. Uh, it, was, it was a very enjoyable thing. Um, but I had the distinct pleasure this past weekend of watching um, – Khabib, I think is his name. I, I don't forgot the boy's name, but watching him, watching him beat the shit out of Connor, and, and see here's and here's where the shit got real gangster. He beat the shit out of Connor, caught him with some nice. First of all, everybody always says if you stand up with Connor, you're gonna lose. Um, and he caught Connor with some real clean shots, looked real good standing up on his feet. Um, it was one overhand right that he caught him with. That shit was I give Connor credit though. He's he took it and didn't drop. He he stumbled, but he stayed up. Um, but he got caught with a real clean overhand right. That shit was beautiful. And it sounded crazy when he hit him. Um but he ended up choking Connor out, as I'm sure you all know by now. Choked that boy out and left Connor sitting on the cage looking real fucking pathetic. But here's where it got real gangster. Not only did he choke him out. My man then jumped over the cage and fucking jumped feet first, which is super fucking gangster. You got to be super gangster to jump feet first, extremely super gangster to jump feet first barefoot into a fucking floor in an arena in Las Vegas. Like, it, it, I think they were at the MGM Grand, wherever the fuck they were at, don't even matter. This boy jumped feet first um, into the fucking into the fucking crowd to fight Connor's team, his trainers and shit. 
And again, you gotta be you gotta be a certain type of crazy. Like I don't know if anybody's ever been. I don't know if any of y'all listening have ever been in any type of like extreme like brawl or melee situation where there's just a lot of people. Um, and it's not like a one-on-one fight, but it's just like all, it's just a big, big ass group of people and a bunch of people fighting. That's a very like crazy type of situation to be in because unless you clearly know which side everybody is on, you know, you don't even really know who's who and who to swing at, who not to swing at like people behind you. So you don't really know if somebody might hit you in the back. So that's like a very extreme that that's if if you're going to get into a fight, that's like the worst kind of fight and situation to be in because of all those things I'm saying, like you really don't know who's who, what side everybody's on, your back isn't protected, there's people behind you. So at any point in time, like somebody could sneak up behind you, which is exactly what happened to Connor if you watch the clip and um, Khabib's team jumps in the cage and Connor's like squared up with a dude and somebody comes behind him and hits him. And that's always the the danger in that type of situation. But for but, but for homie to jump into the crowd and put himself immersed in, into that type of scenario is just completely fucking crazy. Because now you jumping into the crowd, so you could you could very well jump right down in front of somebody and be be squared up swinging with with one person, and you've landed right in front of another person who might be on the opposite team, and he could just hit you in the back of the head. So it's, the shit was just it was hilarious as hell watching it on video several times, but it just speaks to the level of crazy that these motherfuckers operate on that he would just jump into the crowd like that um, and not try to get squared up with somebody one-on-one. Like, first of all, you just got finished fighting. You're a professional fighter. So, like, you could easily get that off, that one-on-one off if you really want it. I mean, there's ways to go about that. Y'all can arrange to go out back or some shit if y'all want to do it on some, like, street-level type shit. And, you know, because the trainers, the trainer who is with Connor, who was talking shit, obviously isn't a UFC fighter. So you're not going to get it set up the way you can fight him in a ring. But y'all, if y'all really want to get it in like that, you know, you could have a conversation like, hey, you was talking all that shit. Let's like let's go around back, do it like Rocky Tommy Gunn style and, uh, you know, had had an alley street fight. But this motherfucker jumped dead ass in the middle of the group. Like, what up? Like I'm trying, I'm he just ready to get. He was just ready to get shit popping. That shit is hilarious as hell. Um, so yeah, that that shit was funny. I saw the day that they said that both of them are suspended. Um, it's gonna be like a hearing or some shit on the 24th. Um, I really don't know what they going. I mean, it, to me that shit ain't no big deal. Like it was a little squabble. Nobody seemed to be too hurt or too injured or like nothing really happened. It was just a big old like scuffle really. So I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Um, just if, in my opinion, that that's just more more of a reason to set up the rematch. Shit, maybe turn that bitch into a tag team match or something. Like have Connor's corner man and uh, Khabib's corner man get tagged in, and like they could do that shit WWE style. Um, but I don't really think it's no shit where they where they need to like suspend them for some lengthy amount of time and not let them fight. Like if anything, get them motherfuckers back in the ring or back in the octagon so they can squabble some more because they clearly got a lot of energy left to want to see each other. So I say they, they set it up like that, but um, we'll see what happens. That shit was funny as hell, though. And and I hope if they do fight again that Connor gets snot bubbles knocked out his nose again. I don't know why. I just don't like that motherfucker. Like, he just he just talks so much shit. And I don't, I don't mind people that talk shit. You know, be confident, talk your shit. 
he backed it up for a long time. Um, I don't know why he was talking all the shit he was talking to Floyd. Like, everybody knew it was going to happen with that. But, you know, I don't mind that so much. It's just something about the way he does it and just something about his persona that just really rubs me the wrong way. And and so I enjoy seeing him get snot knocked out his nose and get choked out. Um, I, I didn't enjoy seeing him get snuck from behind. That's some sucker shit. So I ain't really a big fan of that. Um, I think if you're going to hit him, like give him the opportunity of, of standing in front of him and doing it. So I, I ain't really a big fan of that. But uh, all of the shit that happened with Mayweather and then Khabib beating his ass, I, I'm all on board for that. So set up the rematch so I can see him get his ass whooped again. And then he won't be able to talk shit no more. And he, he can just stand there with that dumbass look on his face. But yeah, um, that was everything that I had on my list to talk about today. Um, fucking the weather, the temperature's dropping here in Cincinnati, so got to deal with that. And we'll see how that goes. But go ahead and wrap this thing up. So hopefully y'all enjoy listening to this shit as much as I enjoy doing it. Until next time, stay healthy, stay positive, continue progressing and all of that good stuff. And most importantly, stay exquisite, beloved.